This is Brandon M. Crooker, and you're listening to the Apostolic Theory Podcast. Just a few weeks ago, I had a conversation on here with Brother Darren Davis, and if you've listened uh, to the podcast, it's not very far back. Uh, but we were talking about restoration uh, in the church. And, and he said something that really struck me. He said something along the lines of, we are killing our laborers. And I was so impacted by that, that I just had to develop it. I had to uh, expound upon it. So let's start with this. Well, before we get started, do me a favor. Rate this podcast on whatever platform it is that you listen to it on. Second, Share this episode link on your social media. And if you're not already following us, follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. This episode is brought to you by some sponsors. Uh, Obviously, the first sponsor is Anchor. The second sponsor is the Pentecostal Periodical. And our third sponsor is Cornerstone Christian Books. Check them all out. I promise you it's incredible. Uh, incredible things happening. But so what a better way to start off than with a reading of the word. So so let's do it. First uh, Thessalonians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. How about how about a quick a quick prayer? Uh, just pray with me for a moment, Father. We're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for the opportunity you've given us another day, another opportunity to live and to serve you. And we pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would anoint our minds and that your spirit and your word would shine through in this particular episode for the next 30 or 40 minutes. Uh, Let your perfect will be accomplished in Jesus name. We pray. Amen. Laborers. Laborers, know those who labor among you. So many people have taken this out of context that it's scary. What does that mean? What does know those who labor among you mean? It simply means this. Church members should value and love their spiritual leaders because of the work that they do as God's servants. Furthermore, in any role in the church where work is being done, even, I would say, the less spiritual uh, jobs. And to the seasoned saint, the subject of God-ordained authority is a familiar one. From the creation of the world, God has been the one who has orchestrated all earthly Authority authority in the home, in the nation, and since the time of Christ in the church. This has been put into place by God in order, in order to give direction and to maintain law and order. Because God is a God of order. In the beginning, he created things in a specific 
order. He gave man a specific order or a specific authority to uphold, to maintain. And so, God is a God of order. And it is always, or also, by this method that he provides structure and organization through which all functions of life can move forward successfully. So we, as we examine scripture, it is evident that God allows people who are in authority to decide how to exercise that authority according to their own choosing. And since man is man and man is born with a carnal nature, these choices often tend to be against the perfect will of God. However, since it is all God-ordained, he still requires that all authority must be respected and obeyed without excuse, regardless whether that authority is godly or carnal. Wow. You see, the only exception to this mandate is when earthly leaders begin to require that people under their authority make decisions or act in ways which are contrary to the higher written law of God. So we must be submitted to the man of God in our lives. So this particular uh, thing here where there's, the Bible says that God sets up kingdoms and God takes them down. God puts people in positions of authority and he removes them. But when we are thinking about the three uh, Hebrew boys and King Nebuchadnezzar and how he wanted them to worship this idol that he had created. And so they refused, okay? So this authority, this worldly authority, told them to do something that was contrary to the word of God, contrary to their knowledge and their understanding of God. And they refused. And so, but here's the thing. God will always prove himself in times of distress. God is always going to take care of those who will stand flat-footed, stand firm. They will draw the line in the sand, and they will do whatever they've got to do to do things the right way, to do things God's way. So, this idea of knowing those who labor among you uh, and how it has been twisted out of context. Think about this for a second. Think about this. You're sitting there having a conversation with a local minister and they bring up this and they say, well, know those who labor among you and they're maybe, maybe in jest, maybe jokingly, but you know, maybe they're talking about another man of God or a, a, a different uh, church that's not far, but uh, maybe he's in a few towns over or even in another state or another county or another community, whatever. And uh, you don't think they're doing it the right way. And so this person is saying, well, know those who labor among you. Maybe because they're not as outgoing or maybe they're not as... Uh, uh, prominent. Maybe they don't 
have an, uh, as good uh, a knowledge of the Word of God as you do. And well, I'll tell you another thing. Um, there are going to be Baptists that receive the Holy Ghost. There are going to be Presbyterians that receive the Holy Ghost. There are going to be um, Catholics that receive the Holy Ghost. And we, we've got to stop this uh, idea uh, that because we're apostolic, that we are better than anybody else. We're not. You're not better than anybody else. And we'll get it. We'll delve into that in in a moment. But this idea of being submitted, submitted uh, to your man of God is important. It's paramount. And you don't always have to agree with your man of God, but you do need to be submitted to your man of God. So this idea of the laborers, and I remember being so passionate about God, being so... uh, so lost maybe uh, is the best way to say it. when I'd get so lost in his presence from, or maybe I was being found in his presence but being in the presence of God and feeling the loving and warm embrace of God just wrapping around you and lifting you up and encouraging you and breathing life into you and I remember that and I remember just as I was just a teenager as a teenager going out with a youth group and uh, I just couldn't believe it. I just could not believe how some of these, how these young people who were filled with the Holy Ghost were treating the waiters and leaving the store a mess. It was just, ah, man, it broke my heart. And, and I'm not sure. I just, I didn't fit in. I never really fit in. Um, and so if you don't fit in, that's okay. It's okay. A lot of times when you have a calling on your life, there is a period of isolation where in that isolation, God does some things inside you. He he gets some things out of you and he puts some things into you and he changes you and he matures you and he takes you places that here's the deal. There's going to be some people that just are not going to be willing to go. He's going to take you places that when you're when you're called, God will take you places. And you're going to have to leave some people behind because they're not willing to go. Think about Elijah and Elisha. There was a group of people following Elijah and Elisha was the only one that was willing to go. But he received the double portion. So this idea of killing the laborers, killing the laborers, is as prevalent in ministry as it is in the congregation. Ministry does not exclude us from being attacked. In fact, I would say it draws draws the fire to you. Because you're in the ministry, because you're in a position of authority or a position of leadership, 
the adversary loves to destroy that and attack that. Because if he can, if he can get people to look at God's elect, God's men of God differently, then he believes that he can win the, win the battle. And so being in ministry or being in a position in a church of leadership draws the adversary's fire, uh, draws attention. Um, spiritual warfare takes place uh, more prominently, I believe, in the life of a minister uh, and of someone in a position of leadership in the church. And there are so many incredible ministers uh, men of God that I know who have walked away from God over hurts. And then the question is, is where are they now? I'm not sure what they're doing or what they're not doing, but I can tell you that they are not doing what God called them to do. Because here's the thing, once you are called, you are always called, my friend, the calling of God does never go away. You cannot escape a call of God on your life. You just can't do it. So as long as you have breath in your lungs and God has called you to the ministry, he's called you to be a preacher of righteousness, you will never get away from it. I heard a, one time I heard someone say it and I I apologize I don't remember where I heard it but I know that I heard it and this this man said that it's harder to live with someone who is running from a calling of God than it is to live with an alcoholic think about that for a second why would that be? Because there's so much spiritual frustration in the heart and the mind of someone who knows God has called them for more and they are living in a dormant state and they're living in a in a just a day-to-day, -day, a mundane state, an average. When God never called them to be average, he called you to be peculiar. He called you to be different. He called you to do incredible, miraculous, impossible things in his name. So if you're called, you are always called. Don't be discouraged. There will be somebody who will, who will believe in you. And every once in a while, there's going to be a time in your life where everybody is going to be against you. The people who you thought were supposed to be for you are against you. And when everybody is against you, you just remember that God is always for you. He said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. He said that he would be the strong tower that you can run into and be safe. The Bible says that the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. So if you believe yourself to be a good man, then your steps are ordered of God. And we want to be led by the Spirit. And I'll tell you another thing. Failure does not negate or eliminate the call of God on your life. 
failure does not negate or eliminate the call of God on your life. Let me read this. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Uh, 37. Then he said unto his disciples, Jesus speaking, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Jesus told us to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers because the laborers are few. And I know from experience, listen, I know from experience that there are innumerable amounts of saints who have had callings on their lives, but they've received so much negative feedback. They've been, they, they've made mistakes. Uh, they, they've had some failures in their lives, some maybe even moral failures in their lives, and they've been hurt too much. And so they've given up on the calling and truly we've killed the labor. When we care more about how we might look because we sit with a perceived sinner or we're attempting to see somebody restored in Christ and we're worried about how people will think of us, we have killed the laborer. You know, I think of the times of the slaves and how horrendous a time it was. But the slaves, they would be whipped and they would be abused. And there were even times where they would be so abused and so beaten that the servant, that the slave, that the worker, that the laborer, would be so beaten, so abused that they would just keel over. What an incredible shame we have created. A culture of condemnation and contention rather than love and restoration. What a shame. I'm so passionate about this. I'm so passionate about the necessity of restoration in the church. And restoration of people back to God where we could be re reconciled. Because that is truly God's intention for us. He wants us to be restored. He wants us to be reconciled. And I'm so passionate about this. Listen, I wrote a book. I wrote a book called Restore, A Biblical Guide to Restoration and Reconciliation. And you can grab that on Amazon, and I promise you that you'll be, you'll be blessed. But listen, folks, I've, I've been on the back end of this business. I've been treated with disgust. I've been discarded. And I remember when I was just, I was so ready to give up. I got a call from a pastor friend of mine, which, you know, I'm thinking about it now. I don't think that up until this point, we had had very many conversations. We didn't talk very often at this point. 
I met him while we were attending a, a church function with a local organization. But he called me up and he just talked to me and he prophesied to me and he just spoke into my life, man. It was incredible. It was a God moment. And I'll tell you what else. Now, he is my pastor. And you know what he frequently says to me? He tells me, I believe in you. I believe in you. And, and I'm sure, <laughs> let's, let me put this into perspective. Prior to that, I was sitting under somebody who would receive calls from local preachers, local ministers, and they would say all these things about me. He did this, he did I'm going to tell you, I've heard some of it, and I'm like, that never happened. I never did that. But th that's the problem. You get too many preachers that aren't fulfilling the Word of God, who aren't actively participating in discipleship, who aren't reaching the lost, they'll get together and they'll get catty. And what will happen is, as they talk and stories get distorted and things change and they lose it, they, they, they miss the mark. And they would rather attack somebody that they don't even know. Here's the thing. I... <laughs> I never, I had seen them, but I'd never had conversations with them. I never sat down and talked with any of them. None of them knew me personally. They never spent any time with me. So they didn't even really have a right to say the things that they were saying. I mean, that's another story. That's another story, but we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. We can't be killing our laborers. So he's my pastor now. And he, he frequently tells me that he believes in me. And it's always funny when church folks get all religious, like, like they don't remember where God brought them from. <laughs> Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, be not deceived, Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. But then in verse 11, he says, and such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Yeah, that's right. See, such were some of you. I sat down with someone recently, very recently, and I was trying to make things right. I was trying to do the right thing. And here, I remember in the conversation so vividly, he said, he said he didn't trust me. I said, well, that's fine. I said, I'm not asking you to trust me. I'm just asking you to be obedient to the word of God. And this man had the audacity to say that you are not going to get many more chances. Honestly, 
we think about it, and I had the conversation with my wife, I hadn't been given any chances. It's not like I was constantly making mistakes and all these other things. Again, that maybe that's a story for another day, but I'm not, you're not going to get many more chances. And see, that's the religious spirit that I'm talking about, and that is the same spirit that Jesus rebuked. The church has got to stop killing the laborers. We've got to stop getting on on this self-righteous pedestal that talks down to people of different faiths, that treats people with a lesser knowledge and a lesser understanding of God's word poorly. We've got to do what God has called us to do, and that's to help each other, to uh, the mature Christian has a responsibility to the weaker Christian to be leaders, to be helpers, to be encouragers. We've got to do this, folks. We've got to do this. But Jesus rebuked that religious spirit. Matthew 23 and 27, he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead man's bones and of uncleanness. He called people with this mentality hypocritical and said that they were hollow vessels. They looked apart, but that's it. They look good. They look sharp. But they were just like the rich young ruler who wanted to do things their way and not God's. Here's the thing. We, we are going to be so inconvenienced when we're doing the will of God. I'm not saying we won't be blessed, but we will be inconvenienced. There are going to be times when 2 o'clock in the morning, you're going to get phone calls. You're going to have to go to the hospital. You're going to have to pray for people. You're going to have to have conversations with people, uncomfortable conversations with people. That's not going to... It's going to be an inconvenient. But just because it's inconvenient for you or makes you... Sorry. And it may make you feel because you have to forgive someone. It may make you feel... weak. There's nothing weak about being forgiving. There's nothing weak. I would say that it even makes you a stronger Christian. I would even say it probably means you're more full of the Holy Ghost than someone who can't forgive. Forgiveness is critical to the church going forward. It's critical and it's imperative, it's imperative that every single one of us get a hold of this. Jesus said, the disciples are all getting together and like, oh, how many times should I have to forgive? I should forgive seven times, thinking he was all great. And then Jesus says, no, you should forgive seven times, 70 times. That's a lot of times. And guess what? That's more than the few chances that some people are willing to give you. But that's what it's all about. Do not kill the laborers. Our communities are full of backsliders. 
and I would, I would, I would hazard a guess that eighty percent of them miss the connection that they had in the house of God. They miss the connection that they had in the body of Christ, the camaraderie, the friendship, the connection. Because we live in a world that's just so disconnected. We need to do our part. We need to do our part and see what we can do to heal the wounded laborers, the broken laborers. This podcast is made possible because of listeners like you who are willing to bridge the gap. We now have a sponsorship program on our Anchor website in which you can become a monthly sponsor of $1, $5, or $10 a month. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook.